Doc from the John Freaking Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Too much of anything is bad, but too much good whiskey is barely enough. Mark Twain on one fateful day, I ended up taking a bottle with me on a hike. I just uh, grabbed a bottle, threw my backpack on a whim, took a picture of it in the middle of the river uh, that I was hiking on, and posted up a review of it on Instagram, just like, oh, this looks cool. Why not? And immediately noticed a huge uptick in traction on likes and comments and views. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm onto something. I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back to another week on the trail, and we've got a great surprise for this week's episode. I'm really looking forward to hearing the journey and stories from our guest, Nate Woodruff, who is the creator of the Whiskey Nate and Whiskey with a View Instagram accounts. I don't want to steal any of his thunder, but the trail he has taken is pretty amazing, going from working at Applebee's to the Madison Hotel in New Jersey, 
to the whiskey company, William Grant and Sons, and then on to being a national brand ambassador by the age of 27. And then he decided to do something completely different. Welcome to the pod, Nate. Thank you, man. I'm a pleasure to be on. I'm honored. Hey, in case you haven't listened to any of our episodes before, I'm going to give you a little heads up on a little segment we do towards the end of the episode. It's called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And this is something where I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to say, Nate, what's your pro tip inside of the week? And it's, going to, it's got to be something that we have related to something we've talked about during the episode. It's, it's something that our listeners can uh, learn from you so that their next adventure can be a little bit better. All right. Well, I will do my best to not get too buzzed for that last question, but okay. no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, you know, I was going to jump right into some of our discussion points, but I think we should start with, you know, your experience just in recent days. I mean, you're in Oregon right now. I'm in California, and we both know that the entire Western U.S. is on fire right now. And so I know that you have been kind of scrambling to, you know, get out of the smoke. What, what have you been going through this last, last few days and tonight? Well, I mean, this whole trip, it seems I've been in five states with five separate large forest fires. It started Arizona, then, I'm sorry, it started Utah, then Arizona, uh, Colorado, now Oregon, and Washington, California. I mean, it's just, it's crazy this summer. I've never seen anything like it. Um, but the last few days have been especially bad. I, I came in from Idaho, where it was getting a little smoky. Um, I was doing some, some uh, climbing out in the Sawtooth Mountains out there, which were spectacular. And I worked my way across uh, uh, the western part, I'm sorry, the eastern part of, of Oregon, and it looked like a scene out of Mad Max. I mean, it was 40 to 50 mile per hour winds, so dust mixed with smoke in that desert. My van was blown all over the road. It was, it was wild, man. Like, it looked like there was, like, there was, like, dust motes floating around in the van. Like, it was just, it was crazy. Um, so that was kind of my intro. I thought the smoke was bad in Idaho, and uh, once I got to Oregon, I realized I was dead wrong. So, uh, gotten there, uh, was able to do one quick hike. The smoke dissipated for half a day. So I got a hike in out, out in eastern Oregon and then drove all the way in to the, uh, to the coast. I was supposed to stop outside of Portland and uh, the smoke was still really bad there. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to head to the coast and hope there's nice wind coming in and maybe make, make the smoke dissipate. And it got just worse. So I stayed in Pacific City. Um, got a little scary there with two wildfires going on on either side. I was afraid of getting kind of trapped there because 22 was the only highway that was left open. Everything else was closed on the 101. Uh, and fortunately today, I mean, it's still extremely smoky, but I was able to get out of there, circle around Route 5, and now work my way down towards uh, California. But the smoke has been constant. I haven't seen the sun in almost three days uh, at all. And for someone who's claustrophobic and likes the sun, it's it's weighing on me uh, mentally and also physically just inhaling smoke. My van is an older 95 Chevy, so I mean, smoke gets in there if I'm driving through it. And my poor dog threw up twice last night, I think, from inhaling smoke. So I got us a hotel tonight just because I, I can't, I, I'm fine, but my dog isn't my number one priority. So she's currently on, on the bed, just relaxing like a princess. I'll show you. I know they can't see the video, but there, there she is. There's Sky. Very good. Guess who runs the show? It ain't me. <laughs> So your, your current adventure, you're, you're living in a van, right? As you're driving across uh, the country. And we're going to get into, into that adventure a little bit. But uh, have you been sleeping in the van the last few nights uh, during all this? Yeah, for the most part. 
Um, I got a like a little like uh, cabin in like an RV park last night just to kind of get out of the smoke and yeah. I basically slept on the beach the first night and then uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, so and even then that cabin was like bare bones, not like well sealed. So it was still affecting me just not as badly. But mm. yeah, I'm just trying to get get a break out of here. I've got family up in Northern California. I'll be staying with tomorrow, so I'm kind of just gonna boogie on out there tomorrow try to get an early start because it seems in the morning the smoke dissipates until it pours in in the afternoon so yeah it's not a real good scene uh for any of our outside friends who like to hike and explore and enjoy the the wilderness uh, it's no, just it's just really dismal right now i made a mistake of doing a 14er in colorado um two weeks ago and the big big fires were going out there and I got to the top and I felt like I just like chain smoked two packs of cigarettes. My lungs were on fire. It was brutal. I was coughing the rest of the day. Not, not a wise move on my part. I should have just stayed down, but I really wanted to hit that 14 or so. It is, it is tough not to do what you love to do. Uh, despite the, the conditions out there, I totally understand. So, Hey, we're going to start this week's episode in the middle. You're on a trip across the country in your van with your dog sky with sponsorships hiking up to mountaintops and alpine lakes, taking pictures of whiskey bottles, writing reviews of whiskey, and posting on Instagram. Is that accurate? Um, I don't really review the bottles anymore. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. It's funny when I hear someone say it, I kind of have to pinch myself at times and be like, you kind of do live, live a bit of the dream, and, but I'm just constantly in my own head and stressing myself out with little things. I have to, it's nice to just kind of step back and realize that I need to be more grateful for what I do. But yeah, that's the way you summed it up is exactly what it is. So here, here's the big question. Did your 14 year old self envision this lifestyle? All right. That's a, well, sort of a loaded answer. I have always been obsessed with travel and exploration and the outdoors. And I've always fantasized about like a cross country adventure. I've done cross country before, but not for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. So the dream of doing a cross country adventure was established at a very young age. The way I'm doing it now, I definitely couldn't thought was the way it was going to work out when I was 14. Yeah, it's interesting how life takes uh, twists and turns and you end up doing something that you, you never, never imagined. Mine's a roller coaster. So every day I wake up and I don't know what the hell's going to happen. So. <laughs> So I, I found out about you, not by stumbling across your Instagram uh, accounts, but I saw an article in USA Today that just popped up on my feed about uh, Whiskey Nate and your current adventure and uh, just thought that this was, this, this sounded like an outstanding opportunity to, to try and reach out to you and find out, you know, how this all came about and, uh, you know, have you share some of your stories with us. No, no, man. I'd love, I'd love to. It's, it's that, that article has definitely uh, launched what I do in a big way. I'm still trying to catch up with everything. It's been, I mean, the outpouring of, of support and, 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 you know, thousands and thousands of new followers has been amazing, but it's like, I built my following up over the course of seven years on both of my accounts and mm -hmm. have very close relationships with a lot of people on there in the sense of like interacting about you know, well, interactive about whiskey, but there are people on there that I haven't met that I've talked to for five years. I consider friends, you know, so it's been quite the shock to my system to get out of my normal routine and normal people I talk to, to literally hundreds of messages and emails. And, and I mean, I'm super grateful for the article, but I'm just now catching up and, and adjusting to that new 
new thing and, and brand new opportunities that are opening up because of it. Now, how did USA Today find out about you? How did they contact you? Uh, what, how did that all come to be? No, um, well, the way it kind of worked out was interesting. Uh, I had a local, so my, my hometown is, is Boonton, New Jersey. Uh, well, it's spelled Boonton, but if you're there, you call it Boonton. Uh, you know, very blue collar town, obsessed with, you know, the fire department, the local dive bar, great food. I, I, I love it. Like, as I said in the interview, I would ha- I want to live in another state, but I wish I could just teleport my town over to that new state because I like mm-hmm. it. I just don't like New Jersey that much. Mm-hmm. It's too expensive. Um, and too crowded, but I got featured on uh, some, I don't know actually who owns it, but someone made a page called Bootin USA, which is just featuring, you know, it's like town lifestyle, town shop, stuff like that. And they asked if, you know, they could do a little interview uh, of what I'm doing since I left the state. And I was like, yeah, sure. Of course I try to, you know, talk to as many people as possible. So they sent me a little questionnaire, they posted it up and then a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bill Westhoven, who works for the Daily Record, which is a New Jersey uh, uh, affiliate to USA Today, asked if he could interview me for Daily Record. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I've never been in the newspaper. I've been featured in, in, you know, magazine articles and Chive and BuzzFeed and Forbes and stuff like that, but never like an actual legit, like, you know, print newspaper. So, of course, I agreed. And and we chatted at length for, for a couple hours on the phone. And he wrote up a killer article and uh, the way the algorithm works for USA Today is if something is trending well locally, they send it up to, as they call it, the mothership, which is USA Today. So when that article posted, it went viral immediately, um, in part because every person that's friends with me basically ended up starting sharing it. And, you know, my family was super excited and posted links to it. And I posted up the link and it just, it went to the one of the, I think it was in the third most visited page in the USA Today travel section for like 48 hours. Wow. Uh, which made it go onto Apple News, Google News, and then yeah. the madness began. Like I woke up and I just literally had thousands of new followers, messages, people wanting to know what I do and how I do it. I try to talk to everyone. Like I don't want to be some like, you know, entity that doesn't speak to people, um, you know, within reason because I get some weird messages too. But, uh, I just try to keep up and I was just so overwhelmed. Like after two days, I just ran off into the woods for two days and just basically turned off my phone. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, Whiskey Nate went viral. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it exploded. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that my message to you wasn't too weird or off the wall and you, you, you responded right away. And uh, uh, even, even today in all of your trying to escape the smoke and the fires and everything else, you know, we were supposed to talk a couple hours ago starting and uh, you you actually found time to, um, instead of saying, you know what, there's too much going on, I can't, I don't have time to talk today. Uh, you made it happen. So, you know, you are very accessible. I appreciate that. No, I, I do my best. Like I said, I try to talk to whomever I can and, and you know, I, I enjoy telling my story. And I'm also guilty conscience to a fault. So I'm a man of my word. So if I say I'm going to do something, I do it and I will automatically feel guilty until it's done. So could I have pushed off till tomorrow? Yeah. But I, I promised I would, I would get on with you tonight. And so, you know, it worked out, even though it was a couple hours late. I'm, I was determined and you know, what else am I going to do? Sit, sit in my hotel room alone and watch TV. No, I'd rather just talk to someone. It's, you know, it gets, it gets kind of, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a people person in the sense that I can get along with people, but at the same time, like I'm totally fine with solitude, but this trip has proven to me that maybe I thought I disliked people a little more than I thought. So it's nice to have some sort of social interaction as well. Very good. Hey, is this your first podcast? No, no, I've been on, on mostly just ones about whiskey. I mean, there's okay. a huge booming whiskey community. So this is probably one of the first like bigger ones I've done. That's not, you know, just deeply embedded into the whiskey community. Right. So, we are, we are going to get to the whiskey. We're, we're going to talk about the whiskey a little bit. <laughs> Don't worry. That's, that's a big part of it. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about your current adventure. I mean, what, what, I mean, we kind of hinted at it a couple of times, but what exactly are you doing and have you, how long has this been going on? So this adventure was kind of percolating in my mind for a while, like this specifically, I wanted to find sponsorship to travel the country and live out of a, you know, it was a, initially just a vehicle and then it just transformed into a van because a lot of the trails that I want to hike are national forest roads. And trust me, my 95 Chevy out there does not like those roads. So I'm very happy I got that and not an RV um, or a trailer. Mm-hmm. The, the point of it though is, well, let's see, I'm trying to think. Well, we'll go back into the, 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 the deep past later, but basically I wanted to figure, I, I figured out that after, um, working in the whiskey industry for almost seven years and saying, I want to do this trip one day. I want to do this trip one day. I'm like, why am I waiting? Like there's, there's no reason for me to delay. Like I'm, you know, at that point I was, you know, 31, 30 years old. And I was like, I can do this now. Why should I put this off? The way I describe it to people is um, especially with everything going on in, in my life now is like, I'm just going to live my retirement years in my thirties and get a big boy job when I'm 45. Uh, so kind of just scrape by when I'm young and healthy and can do all the physical stuff that I want to do now while I'm in shape and, and, uh, God willing remain healthy and, uh, just, just get it while I can now. And then once I'm older and want to relax a little bit, that's when I can start, you know, doing the things that society tells you is, is important, which some of them I'm sure are, but I don't think are that important when you're young and, and fit and able to do what I do. Um, but with this, with this journey, I figured out that, you know, I've gotten paid freelance for my photography for a long time, um, specifically whiskey brands. And I decided, Hey, why don't I just leave my job, sell all of my things, get rid of all of my bills other than cell phone and car insurance, grab my dog, buy a van and just do what I, what I love, which is travel and go cool places and hike mountains and take pictures of whiskey. Like this is feasible. Why, why am I stopping myself? And I realized the reason I was stopping is because I was influenced in part by the way society wants you to think, which is get a job, get a college degree, which I never did because I'm not book smart, um, you know, get a girlfriend or a wife, start a family and, and be basically, you know, one foot in the grave by 35 and stuck and not doing anything. Well, that's, that's a little mean. People enjoy that. I, I don't. I, I like being on my own and doing my own thing. Um, so for me, that was just not the lifestyle I could do. And uh, I realized the only thing stopping me was the fact that I was a little nervous. I was a little scared to take that step and pull off a journey like this that, you know, people apparently think is, is, one of, is a really cool thing to do. Um, so I decided, screw it, I'm going to do it. I started talking to different whiskey brands, seeing what they would be willing to chip in to make this work and had a bit of a budget and saved a bunch of money up to buy a vehicle 
And uh, yeah, it all came together over the course of, of months of planning and sort of fell apart for a little while and I couldn't find sponsors and then managed to get a bunch, uh, a couple big ones dropped out and then I found a few more with the help of a bunch of different whiskey friends over the course of two weeks and salvaged the trip. And uh, <laughs> that began the beginning of all the issues that I've run into because that was in February. We all know what happened. That's right. So that's when I began the adventure. It was mid-February. I moved out of my house, got rid of all my things, fit all of my belongings into my small car, and started the trip towards Tennessee to where my family lives. I wanted to pick up a vehicle down there because I knew there wouldn't be any rust because of snow and it's cheaper down there. And I wanted to establish residency in Tennessee as well because they don't have a uh, federal, or I'm sorry, a state income tax. So it's a nice little buffer for someone that works freelance like I do. Um, but once I got there, uh, Tennessee, my family lives right outside of Nashville, uh, the area right north of them got hit by those tornadoes. So that was the first natural disaster of the trip. Um, started working on the relief effort there, clearing trees, helping people get stuff out of houses. Um, and then right after that, COVID hit and the quarantine happened. And I was stuck there for about a month and a half trying to find a vehicle, trying to stay sane. I'm not good at sitting still. So basically all I did every day was yoga and work out and read in the yard and try not to go crazy. Uh -huh. uh, eventually found the van and then started off uh, right about end of March, I believe. I started working in Georgia with uh, one of my sponsors called Swamp Fox Spirits out of, out of uh, Buena Vista, Georgia. They were one of the sponsors for the first leg of the trip. And I found a little loophole. I started helping them make hand sanitizer for um, first responders uh, and, and uh, local folks, which got me a essential employee letter. So I was able to travel between Georgia and Tennessee legally and safely uh, and be able to actually start uh, exploring that area. And then right after that, South Carolina opened, Florida, some of the southern states. So I was able to start progressing, um, but I was about you know two months behind schedule. So that's when the heat wave hit in the South and I had to unfortunately get out of the South quicker than I anticipated or wanted. So I didn't really get to hang out in Arizona, Arizona or Utah as much as I'd like. And I was supposed to spend a month in Canada shooting up there and that didn't happen. So, and then it's just been fires ever since. Wow. <laughs> so the, the goal of the trip is, did you have a, did you have a set number of peaks you wanted to hit or trails you wanted to hike? How did, no, how did no. that work? I don't like I don't like having numbers and lists because then I feel obligated to adhere to them and that takes the fun out of it. So the goal of this trip was to wake up every day and do whatever I want. So for me, that means sometimes I want to hike a mountain. Sometimes I want to go to a beach. Sometimes I want to go to another state. Um, and luckily, since I have monthly sponsorship, I'm able to budget that out and figure out how much I can spend on gas, food, uh, once in a while, a hotel. I, I don't like really staying at them because the it cuts deeply into the budget but you know nights like tonight's kind of necessary um but it's it's been very interesting and eye-opening for me because i can literally wake up on any given day and just decide like this is what i want to do it's very rare that i schedule anything the only time i schedule things or visits with you know, folks that I've interacted with over the years or uh, distilleries or podcasts like this. Uh, other than that, like tomorrow, I'm going to end up heading into California to hopefully, you know, get to my, my uncle's house. And that's my only plan from here until I get to LA, which is going to be a couple events and stuff like that with brands. So I'm psyched. 
psyched for that that part. But other than that, I mean, I have a tentative schedule of where I want to be. I want to be back in Colorado at the end of September to catch the Aspens changing. Then I'll be heading to the East Coast in October to chase the fall foliage all down the East Coast, which is my like favorite time of the year and place to be is is the East Coast for the fall because that's that's my favorite thing. That's what I grew up with. So will the adventure take a full calendar year? Is that uh, the plan? It was supposed to, um, but it will be ending around December. Uh, that's when I'm going to start winding down and figuring out what my next move will be, which, I mean, I've got a couple op- I've got a couple things I'm working on. I might try to do the, not try, but do the entire <coughs> Appalachian Trail with a sponsor. Um, I really want to do a long-term trip in Scotland where I've backpacked to all 130 distilleries in half a year. Um, there are a couple other business options that I can't talk about now, but could be very big for me next year as well, which I'm going to look at and meet with some people in LA about and see if those are viable and fit with what I want to do and what my next step is. And, um, yeah, right now it's all kind of up in the air, which is what I like. I like the uncertainty. I like the spontaneity and I like just kind of doing what I feel makes me happy. As long as my dog is fine. I'm, I'm good. So yeah, that level of uncertainty would drives a, a certain percentage of the population nuts. They, they would not most, be able to live with that. Most people. Yes. But yeah. I'm not people. I, I <laughs> like, I really thrive off of that. And that's one thing that a lot of people have been very confused about when I talk to them. Like, so you just don't have a plan. I'm like, no, no, I just, I literally just live every single day. Like it could be one of my last days. I, I do that with that day. What I wake up and I want to do, that's what I do. And it's a very different lifestyle. It's a very different mindset. But if you're able to pull it off, it's it's incredibly rewarding because you kind of discover a lot more about yourself when you're not fixated on the worries and cares of adhering to a schedule and adhering to something you have to do and having a job where you have to be responsible for certain things on certain days. Getting rid of all that and having that freedom is worth more to me than the amount of money I could make working a full-time job in the whiskey industry or marketing industry. Like I, I could, I could turn down very large amounts of money for to do what I do right now. And you know, as I tell everyone, I started off this this trip uh, almost broke and in debt. I'm gonna end it broke, almost broke, hopefully, and probably still in not as much debt, but still a good amount. And you know what? For a nine month adventure of complete freedom and being able to do whatever I want to do. I mean, to break even, it's a dream. I mean, that's the fact that, that I am able to do this and able to basically just end up at square one. And, and some people would say, Oh, it's, well, you just wasted a year then. When's the last time you spent nine months just doing whatever you want and getting to enjoy life and appreciate things and people and, even though there are setbacks, like these are setbacks. Everyone has to deal with COVID. Everyone out here has to deal with wildfires. Like I'm just fortunate enough that I have a way of escaping that and getting through that and moving on to another place. Um, and it's something that I've noticed a lot in the culture is, is people switching to this type of lifestyle is becoming rapidly way more common than it was than when I was planning this back in you know September of last year. Yeah, I've talked to a number of people who have kind of left the corporate or city life behind uh, kind of on a dime and and changed course and taken on this adventure lifestyle. 
So I, I totally agree. And I know that I'm going to get a phone call or an email or a text from one of my hiking buddies after he listens to this episode. Chopper, Chopper is going to tell me, I can already predict what he's going to put in the text. He's going to say, that would drive me crazy not to have a plan because he <laughs> he's one of the most structured guys I know. But uh, yeah. I keep, I, keep a plan, I keep a plan in my backpack in the wilderness. Like when I'm hiking, I'm very safe. I've hiked with a couple, a couple people that have uh, kind of yelled at me. They're like, why are you hiking with a 40 pound pack with like everything you need to survive like a zombie apocalypse for a week in the woods? I'm like, because what if that happens? I mean, it's 2020, who knows? That's right. Yeah, we get the same looks out on the trail. And with, with your plan to, to hike the Appalachian Trail, I would love to have you back on to share your experiences if you do, if you do the full trail. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bucket list item for me. And mm-hmm. in my experience, when I set my mind to a bucket list item, it happens. So it might happen next year. It might be a couple of years from now. But that's, that's one thing that, again, another thing that, like, when I was very young, it always appealed to me was doing a mm-hmm. very long backpacking trip like that. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you have a couple of events down here in Los Angeles? Uh, just a couple. Uh, one of the whiskey brands that I'm working with, Wyoming Whiskey, um, I guess they're, they're doing some – They've been very vague about it, but I guess they're having some sort of party or something. I, I'm not sure. I really don't know what's going to go on with that. But I just one of their representatives reached out to me and told me they they have something planned. Just let me let us know what dates you're, you have there. And then there's just a ton of different whiskey people I know down there that I'm going to try to meet up with and hang out with. And um, some of which I've met before, and some of which I've yet to meet in person, but I've interacted with for years. So there's a huge portion of the whiskey community down there. So even though I try to avoid cities and I've been doing probably one of the better, better ways of social distancing that I can imagine, which is just being out in the woods all the time. Um, that'll be one of the few forays that I have into an actual physical big city for more than like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And do you want to give a quick shout out to the sponsors that have made this trip possible for you? Yeah, right now we've got a couple whiskey brands. So Swamp Fox, like I said, they sponsored the first half of the trip. Uh, we've got Brooklyn Distilling out of New York, who's been making some really incredible whiskey. Uh, we've got Smooth Ambler out of West Virginia. They're uh, taking on the second half of the trip for me. Uh, Wyoming Whiskey out of, well, you guessed it, Wyoming. Uh, they're a fantastic little brand. Uh, and then we've got BK Classic Cocktails, who they make uh, handcrafted batched cocktails that you just get in a little uh in a little uh jar or not jar bottle almost uh mm-hmm. but it's fantastic for you know hikers and people traveling just because it's so convenient and easy to carry and then i launched a coffee brand with uh armeno coffee out of massachusetts and uh they're just fit i didn't launch armeno but i'm doing a collaboration brand with them but they're a fantastic roastery out of massachusetts that i got to sit down with and make my own coffee with and sell it it's, it helps pay for the trip, which is actually really, really cool. So I make money off of the coffee that I sell. Yeah, how would you describe the coffee? So it's a coffee made for the whiskey drinker, for sure. Um, I made it out of three different types of beans, one of which is uh, bourbon barrel rested beans to kind of give it that sweetness and that little hint of whiskey flavor. So it's definitely a very uh, oily, viscous coffee. It's very full-bodied. And also just if, you know, if you're having a day where you don't have to do anything, it goes really, really well with a splash of whiskey in it. Nice. And where, where can our listeners, where can our listeners find that, that, uh, that coffee brand? Uh, just, just, uh, you can find them on Instagram, Armeno Coffee, or, or just type in Armeno Coffee on Google. It'll pop right up and they have a, a special collaboration brand with me. It's just called uh, Whiskey with a View Brew, Brew Boldly. So it's, a, the, it's uh, definitely a 
coffee geared towards someone that wants a nice little uh, kick in the morning. It'll wake you up. Nice. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to take a, a deeper dive into Nate's past and figure out how he got here. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Nate Woodruff from Whiskey with a View, and you are listening to the John Freakin' Mirror Pod. Welcome back. We're talking to Nate Woodruff, creator of the Whiskey Nate and Whiskey with a View Instagram accounts. And we want to talk a little bit about uh, your, your distant past growing up uh, in New Jersey and you know what that was like. Did you have any challenges early on? And take us through that, uh, that varied career path where you went from Applebee's to national brand ambassador. All right. So, yeah, it's a wild and interesting story, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, kind of went – and during high school, I went to a film academy, and that was my first passion. I got into a, a specialized film academy for all of high school, um, and that was where I kind of got my creative and visual juices going. And then after that, I tried to get in the film industry in New York City, which is quite difficult to do. Um, even though I did quite well in like state film festivals and, and teen uh, film uh, things, I would make a movie every year. Um, but it just wasn't enough. And I uh, ended up going to college for a semester and failing out immediately other than the film portion I'd gotten a everything else I failed <laughs> and uh <laughs> so I did what most people that try to get in the entertainment industry do I started working in a restaurant uh which at that point was a, an Applebee's um so I did every position in there from busboy to hosting to car side to go to serving bartending supervising and while I was there, one of my old managers, Scotty, uh, he was kind of like that father figure manager uh, that, you know, if he yelled at you, you felt bad. You know, you know, every, everybody, anybody, anyone that's worked at a restaurant has that one manager where they're the one manager that could make him feel guilty. And that was Scotty. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my birthday one day, he gave me a bottle of Maker's Mark and uh, said, happy birthday. I was like, Scotty, I don't drink whiskey. At this point, I was just drinking, you know. Captain Morgan and Ginger and Shotzi Yeager and Miller Lite, you know, frat boy shit. But when he gave me that, I'd had a bad experience with whiskey as a kid or, you know, a young man where, as many know, when you raid dad's alcohol stash, you kind of may spend a night around the toilet and, you know, reconsider life choices. <laughs> so I've basically torn off whiskey since that young age. And, uh, but when Scott gave me that, he said, you're going you're gonna to drink one glass of this on the rocks a night for, for a week. And so I said, all right, I trust you. Uh, I, will, I will try that. And he goes, this isn't whiskey. This is bourbon. You'll appreciate it. So I said, okay. And sure enough, I did just what he said. And by night five, I was, uh, I was hooked. I thought it was fascinating. I felt, you know, typically you know, more manly drinking whiskey. And uh, I just thought it was cool that I was drinking whiskey. At first, it was just kind of like, I was just brought in by the the allure of of being a man and drinking whiskey, and then rapidly realized I, I I just became fascinated by the process and the different flavors and the different types around the world. And it actually, as you I'm sure you read in the article, it pulled me out of a bad place. Like all I was doing was 
getting drunk almost every single night, just partying, just going down roads I shouldn't have been going. And, you know, all I cared about was getting drunk and getting laid. That was like, that was my life for years. And unfortunately I was fairly good at both of those. So it became a point of bad addiction. Um, and whiskey pulled me out of that. It gave me an appreciation for alcohol and not only gave me an appreciation, but it gave me a passion, which is what I've been missing. The only way that I felt like I was accomplishing anything was, you know, having the most fun at a bar and, and pulling in, you know, women. And that was my sense of accomplishment and, and you know, not something that I'm, ex you know, super proud of, not, not something you want to add to a resume, but having whiskey was the first time I felt a passion since the film industry. And it was something that once I become obsessed with something, I really want to know everything about it. And, and for me, I want to know everything about whiskey. So I just started studying constantly. Um, at that point, I had graduated from Applebee's to working at a nightclub that I started running a whiskey program during uh, the Saturday days. My father and I, which we had a, a kind of tenuous relationship just because, you know, I was a shithead. And uh, it was something that, you know, we didn't get along with because I was going down those, those dark paths. And whiskey kind of brought us together because he appreciated it too. And we'd get together every single Saturday and, and watch college football and just try different whiskeys we had bought that week. And it became our bonding thing. We developed a very close relationship because of that. Um, I moved on to the uh, Madison Hotel in, in Morristown, New Jersey, and, and they were kind enough to let me start making the decisions on the whiskey brought in. They only had like 12 bottles when I got there. And when I left, they must have had 50 plus different types of whiskeys that I was able to hand select and turn down certain ones that I didn't like. And got a lot more into the craft cocktail scene there. And while I worked there, I got a offer after attending several uh, whiskey guild meetings, uh, which is basically just a bunch of whiskey vendors setting up tables in one area. In this case, it was actually the hotel I worked at. And uh, you just pay like 50 bucks and get to taste everything and talk to their brand ambassadors. So in doing that, I was like, hey, this is a cool position, brand ambassador. You get to just geek out about whiskey and talk to things, like talk to people about it. And, mm -hmm. and you get paid to do that. That seems so cool. I want to do that. <laughs> so I made it a goal to get a job doing that. And um, I was hired by a wonderful company that I still have very strong ties to, William Branton Sons, who own such major scotch brands as Glenfiddich and Balvenie and uh, Monkey Shoulder and they own uh, Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey and Hudson Whiskey out of the United States. Um, wonderful family brand, uh, still photograph their products for them sometimes, still have very strong relationships with their brand ambassadors. And for three years, I was their associate brand ambassador in New Jersey, um, which is a great learning experience for me. So I started everything from liquor store tastings and then doing trade shows and then doing bigger events as I learned more and more. Uh, and I thought it was awesome. So I was doing that part-time and also bartending part-time and, you know, making good money between both of those. And then at the age of my, well, my, my goal was to be a national brand ambassador by the age of 30. That was my, that was what I'd set the goal for myself. That was like the lofty position and ended up getting an offer from another fantastic uh, whiskey brand who I'm still close with, uh, Michter's. And they ended up hiring me as their national brand ambassador. And I was over the moon. I thought that was the coolest thing. I cried. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this at such a young age. Um, and found out rapidly that that was not the role for me. Um, you know, fantastic brand, fantastic family-owned, great people. I just realized quickly working full-time and traveling 
all over the United States, helping open up Mexico, working in Europe, that it killed me. It burned me out. I was not in a good state of mind. I was depressed. I was, oh, go ahead. What, what does a national brand ambassador do for, for a whiskey company? Well, a lot. <laughs> so for this particular brand, my main market was Manhattan, which was a big issue because I don't like cities. I really don't like New York City. Sorry, New York. I just, it's just dirty and crowded and I don't like it. Um, I do have many close friends that live there that love it. Good for them. It's just not my scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my job was working the top cocktail bars in New York City, which is a very challenging job and one I was not cut out for. Uh, and then when I'm not there, which I was only there about 30% of the time, I was traveling city to city and doing the same thing. So I'd visit cocktail bars, run events, run dinners for clients. Um, I mean, it was the, the concept of it is amazing. You just get to go and talk about whiskey all the time, which I loved. Um, but the travel was, was constant and, and just tore me apart. And, I, and just, I, I didn't have my freedom. I didn't have my personal space. And I was very fortunate with that job that I was making a lot more money I ever had than I ever had before. I had a full expense report. They paid for everything. They were an incredible company, gave me a great insurance plan, everything you could ever think of. But I was, like I said, just reverting back to like a very depressed mindset and and just, I wasn't able to hike. I wasn't able to work out. I was getting fat for the first time in my life. And so we ended up parting ways within eight months. It just, just was not the right fit. And I was able, they kept me on board for, for about a year as a consultant. So I helped them with their marketing and photography, which I was like, okay, this is what I like to do. So I was like, if I can do this with them, why don't I just do this with other brands? So I kind of did that for about two years and worked with other brands and just did odd jobs and just wasn't making enough money at that point. So I, uh, I linked up with uh, Whistlepig Whiskey out of Vermont and uh, helped run New Jersey for them for two years. And that's when I had my epiphany and decided I want to do this road trip. Uh, the New Jersey market was amazing. We, we really launched super, super well there. Uh, but also another amazing brand that I'm still have very close ties with and uh, love them to death. Can't wait to visit them in Vermont. But I realized that I had to do what I wanted to do and I need to do it now. So now we're here sitting in a smoke filled Oregon. And I <laughs> In a cheap hotel. That is quite the career trajectory. And I have to be honest, this is the first time I've ever heard of whiskey uh, dragging somebody out of an, uh, an alcohol problem. I mean, I've yeah. never, heard of, never heard a story like that ever before, Nate. Pure irony, to say the least. At the same time, you know, people ask me, like, how do you keep yourself, you know, grounded since my job is to drink whiskey? Um, and I would certainly say I probably drink more than the average human, but I know how to balance that. I know my limits. I have a very, I have a high tolerance as it is. Um, but you know, it's, there are definitely days where I take a step back and go, all right, we're not going to have anything today. Like you're like, you gotta, you gotta keep yourself in check. I'm, I'm a very open and honest person. And the person I'm most honest with is myself. Mm-hmm. So if I feel like I'm straying off the path and that I'm, you know, maybe drinking too much or something, then I'm the first person to be like, I mean, I'm the only person that I'm around most of the time. So mm-hmm. you got to be careful with that. Um, but yeah, no, uh, where I was at the age of 24 is night and day compared to where I am now. Yeah. Now you, you rattled off a whole list of different 
whiskey companies, most of which I've never heard of before. Uh, so I'm, I'm there. You've said that there are family operations, small operations. Um, I'm almost envisioning. I'm trying to make a comparison in my mind to the the large beer distributors versus the you know the small craft breweries. Is, is it a similar situation with whiskeys? So totally depends. I mean, you have your big you have your big conglomerates like uh, Diageo and Edrington and uh, Moet Hennessy um, that that own whiskey brands and own many whiskey brands on top of other liquors and and, and whatnot. Uh, but Sorry, this guy's barking. Hey, quiet. <laughs> she wants to be um, She wants to be on the pod. She she probably would talk. Uh, but yeah, working. Uh, I I never really wanted to work for the big corporations. I saw close friends get screwed out of good jobs because of that and, and budget cuts. So I I wanted to kind of just work with independently owned brands. So William Grant and Sons, even though they are family owned, is a huge huge company. It just never sold out. Um, and so it, even though it is a huge company, they don't have as many employees as you normally would. They have a very open atmosphere. Um, they're a great company to start with. And, and once I started working with them, I decided that's how I wanted to do it. I wanted to work with smaller companies that weren't bought up by big corporations where you just become a drone. Um, so graduating from that to Michter's, which was a very wealthy family out of New York, um, that also is a distribution company working with them was an even smaller process. I think there were maybe 30 employees for a brand that was in at that point, 30 something, maybe 30 something countries. Um, and then Whistlepig is independently owned by investment and bankers. So that one, um, is a little more, not really a corporate structure because as long as the money's coming in, right. They don't care. It's as long as just keep your nose clean and make sure money comes in. Very loose environment, very chill and relaxed, and love the vibe. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've the only corporate experience I ever had was my first job, which was a which was an apple which was an Applebee's, which is a great way to actually train for the restaurant industry because you become kind of habitually by the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one company I haven't heard you mention is is uh, Jack Daniels. Yeah, no, I've uh, never done work for them. Although I've done work for Brown Foreman, who owns them. I thought with your your family ties to Tennessee, I might I might hear that, but uh, we haven't. Well, Jack Daniels has enough of a presence and money; they don't need my help. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need they don't need they don't need much from me. What I what I would offer to them wouldn't be. I mean, the biggest, the highest profile photography I've done was Budweiser. I did I did promo for Budweiser last year. That was the biggest one I ever did, and and the most money I ever made off of a shoot for sure. Okay. Hey, let's, let's transition and let's talk about your Instagram accounts and how those came to be, you know, whiskey, Nate and whiskey with a view. And just for our listeners uh, edification, there is no E in the whiskey in those titles. So whiskey, Nate and whiskey with a view without the ease. Yep. So um, reason behind that is, is the fact that I started off working in the scotch industry. Scotch does not spell whiskey with an E. Um, so yeah, whiskey uh, underscore Nate, which, which is funny. My, I have a buddy who drinks Irish whiskey named Whiskey Nate with an E in it, and he has been just getting slammed with followers and messages. <laughs> he, had to put up, he had to put up a post saying, I'm not that guy, guys, it's this one. So yeah, whiskey underscore uh, Nate, no Ian whiskey. That was started, at first it was just a personal Instagram. Um, if someone really wanted to stalk me and go back through that, I'm sure there's some embarrassing pictures from 2014. Um, but uh, 
I'll make, sure, I'll make sure to do that later tonight. Thank you. Good luck. Scoring <laughs> 2,000 posts. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I think I took most of the embarrassing shit off. But with that one, what that was for me was not supposed to be anything crazy. So everyone that I knew that was a whiskey blogger or a reviewer had a blog online. And I don't, I mean, I made websites when I was a kid, but I don't know how they work nowadays. And that's too complicated for me. So I just use kind of Instagram as more of a journal is the way I put it. Uh, more for me than anyone else. There were like maybe two other guys really posting about whiskey on there. Uh, and so at that point in time, this was seven or yeah, I think seven years ago, six, six or seven years ago. Um, I was just posting, I would take a picture, I'd like put a, put a bottle like just on my table, take a picture, uh, write up my review and my notes and what I tasted and put it online. And, and it was kind of just my way of keeping track of what I was trying. And I could scroll back and, and touch up on the history. I would write a little bit about the history of the brand and what was unique about that bottle and just get into the geeky stuff. So of course, you know, my friends and, and family would make fun of me because, you know, I would be a total nerd and they're like, oh, what happened? Like <laughs> you went from this crazy, like, you know, party animal to this guy that's just nerding out over alcohol. Like what's going on? So it was just a fun, you know, running joke that, that, you know, I, it's, I come from a family of five boys and have a lot of close guy friends. So we always bust each other's balls. I mean, it's just, that's just what you do. Uh -huh. So mine was, mine was the fact that I was a turned to a whiskey nerd, uh, which I love, but so do you have a strong following of whiskey geeks? Uh, yeah, that's the vast majority of my following. Yeah. Um, I think my, well, I don't know. I haven't checked the stats since the article, but I know like on my whiskey review page, it's like 85% just male followers between the ages of 24 and 50. Yeah. And I want to clarify, I think whiskey geek is, is technically an oxymoron. I, I don't, you know, because you know, whiskey, you think whiskey drinkers, you think in manly men who, you know, pretty, pretty confident. They don't, you don't usually put, you know, geek along alongside that. Oh, I'm a total nerd. It's hilarious. I've, uh, <laughs> Friends have gone with me to distilleries, to tastings, to dinners I've run. And they just, especially people that have known me for a long time and know I am, they're like, whoa, 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 what is this? Like, this doesn't make sense. Because I guess I don't really come off as a, as kind of a, a dirty, geeky side, but like, that's my jam is like, I grew up on like reading fantasy and sci-fi novels. Those are still my favorite books. I read as much as I can. Um, those, those are my those are my jam. Like those are like the TV shows I like and, mm -hmm. and just switching to whiskey and getting to geek out about that was pretty easy transition for me. Um, and it's, it's nice. It's kind of been a challenge because I've, especially getting in the industry, like I didn't have this beard. I was clean shaven. I've always been a pretty boy. So people just assumed, you know, like, Oh, this guy doesn't know his shit. And so I had to prove myself for many, many years. And I like that challenge and I like proving people wrong. So mm -hmm. that obviously just continued to snowball over the years as I, you know, learn more and more and talk to some really amazing experts in this field, and learn from them. And they were kind enough to teach me. Um, but yeah, so just posting those reviews, eventually people started following my page and reading my reviews and reaching out and asking for my opinion, which I thought was so cool. And, and, and I would, I was doing pretty well at like, if someone liked one whiskey, I could suggest four more that they would probably like. And I was usually pretty right. Uh, and just continue to work and, and do tastings. And um, I uh, reached the point 
where once in a while a brand would reach out and say, hey, we'd like to send you a bottle review. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. They were sending me a free bottle or sample of whiskey to try and review and I'd tag them and I thought it was so neat. Uh, and then on one fateful day, I ended up taking a bottle with me on a hike. I just uh, grabbed a bottle, threw it in my backpack on a whim, took a picture of it in the middle of the river uh, that I was hiking on and posted up a review of it on Instagram, just like, oh, this looks cool, why not? And immediately noticed a huge uptick in traction on likes and comments and views. And I was like, oh, cool, I'm, I'm onto something. I'm just gonna keep doing this. I need my own unique niche and mm -hmm. became my niche. So I would hike all the time and almost every single time I'd hike, I'd have a bottle or two in my backpack and take a picture. <laughs> hey, Sky, sorry. That's Sky. okay. Sky. Go to bed. She heard something. Go to bed. What kind of what kind of dog is Sky? She's an Australian Shepherd mix. So, herding dog likes to keep everything. She thinks she's a watchdog, but she's not that big. Um, nice. Oh, anyway, sorry about that. It might happen again. Um, but yeah, so I started doing that all the time, and uh, it just became a little more popular, and, and brands started reaching out saying, "Hey, we want to send you a bottle to." photographing with you and so it became two things instead of one um, and I was not making any sort of money off this like I, I just thought it was so neat that I was getting I was I was starting to amass this collection of whiskey bottles that you know I couldn't even begin to drink on my own and my friends would come over and I'd have tastings for my friends or family or just you know people that I interacted with online or send out samples or swap bottles and it really became this like the, the whiskey community thing, I just got deeper and deeper into it. And then this was still under Whiskey Nate. I decided one day uh, to start a page called Whiskey with a View, which was uh, a, a collection of my work. And then I would also allow people to send in pictures because uh, I noticed a lot of people emulating my style and taking pictures on hikes and the outdoors, which I absolutely love and encourage to this day. Um, once this trip's over, you'll see, I, I used to do every single week featured Friday where I would post other people's work on my story so that they could follow each other and other people could find these awesome photographers. And uh, I haven't really been able to do it on this trip just because I can't be, it's just not something that's feasible and I can't really just do it all the time because I usually don't have service. And if I do have service, it's because I'm driving. So I kind of put a little halter on that, but that'll start up again. Mm -hmm. um, I have people submit pictures from all over the world. Um, I get tagged in dozens if not hundreds of photos a week sometimes uh the whiskey with a view hashtag has something like almost fifty thousand posts under that hashtag alone which it's really cool to scroll through that and see some photographers out there many of which are way more talented than i am and just take some of the most stunning photos up in canada or out in australia or all people send me pictures from the base camp of everest like just really really cool stuff um, so yeah, if you have a free day and you're really bored, I would definitely look through that hashtag. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating seeing some of the places people take pictures of bottles. So it just became this other crazy little community that, that, you know, I'm sure someone had done it first before, but I don't know of anyone really that did it before. So it just started this little community and started going viral. And my follower count of that was started shooting up by the thousands, um, until it reached the point where it is today at over 80,000 followers on that alone. Um, but yeah, I had no idea when I threw that bottle of scotch in my backpack what 
what that would entail and what that would launch. It's been just a crazy, crazy six years of just seeing that develop into what it is today and having no idea what my end game was and just happily finding it eventually. One small decision leads to this, uh, this niche like you were talking about and boom, off you go. Yeah. And like last year alone, I was working with whistle pig part-time and I traveled to Taiwan to work with a distillery out there. I was in Scotland to work with three distilleries. I was in Canada to work with a distillery. I was all over the United States, you know, shooting with for doers in Puerto Rico. I mean, it's just been crazy. So, um, I've gotten this, that, that little, that little decision has allowed me to travel all over the country and world, visit some amazing places and hike some incredible mountains, meet amazing people and drink whiskey and take pictures of it. And that's, how I've been able to, to fund a lifestyle that not even fund because a lot of the times, I mean, the brands just, you know, if someone offered like the brands offering to fly me to Scotland, Taiwan, I'm not charging them. They're just paying for the trip. I'm not going to say no to that. Right. Um, but allowing me to do things that not many people can do. Uh, and it's, I'm very, very grateful and very, very blessed to be able to, to do that for sure. It's quite a story. Hey, we're going to take another quick short break. And when we come back, I'm going to try and pin Nate down on a couple of questions here. So stay tuned for that. Hi, this is Brendan Leonard, the creator of semirad.com. You're listening to the John Freaking Muir podcast. Welcome back. I'm going to try and pin Whiskey Nate down on a couple of questions here. I want to start off by asking him, you know, if, if I were to try and um, pin you down on the top five whiskeys out there, what, what would you say? Are you able to talk about that? Or do you have a, uh, a, a, some kind of clause in your contracts with your sponsorships that don't allow you to have these kinds of discussions? No, no, my, my contracts, uh, with my sponsors, we have, we have an open relationship. So <laughs> I, I am able to work with other brands and stuff and they know that I'm a geek and I always talk about it, but when it comes to top fives, um, it becomes a bit difficult, especially for someone in my position where, uh, on a normal year, unlike this trip, I mean, every single year I taste hundreds and hundreds I'm sure certain years, almost probably close to a thousand different whiskeys every year, um, whether it be from samples uh, or at trade shows, trying a bunch of different ones. Uh, I was judging the American Whiskey Convention for a couple of years, and that alone would be a hundred whiskeys we'd have to try in a day, which is quite the test, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> there you're allowed to spit. You don't drink everything. I'll put it that I was going to ask if, if you were able to stay upright after that. Oh, no, I was definitely drunk after. There's no question about that. All of us judges uh, would Uber back to the hotel, for sure. Um, but uh, that that's one where when you're judging a whiskey competition and you've tasted and reviewed as many whiskeys as I have and the other judges have, I mean, you can just you can just nose one. You can just smell it and just be like, that is not going to be good. Uh, and unfortunately, with the smaller craft distilleries, especially um, – years prior to this now now some have some really good age stock it's very normal it was very normal to not have good whiskey um and to just you know like you could just taste a drop and be like no that's no good like i don't, I don't even have to rate that um but 
That being said, a top five is very difficult to generate just because I am usually, and even on this trip, trying more than the average person does and uh, being offered samples of whiskey that is way out of my budget that I get to try. Um, so this is a tough one. This is a very tough one. Um, trying to think. So for me, the whiskey depends on multiple things. It depends on my mood. Uh, the time of year makes a huge difference for me. Certain times of year, I want certain types of whiskey. Uh, and then it also depends on budget. Uh, right now I'm drinking Wild Turkey 101. That is my go-to $27 bottle of whiskey. Uh, I think for the price, you cannot beat it at 101 proof. Uh, it's delicious and it's often very overlooked because it's everywhere. You can get Wild Turkey 101 at almost any liquor store. Uh, and for me, for the bang for your buck, you cannot beat the 101. Well, the 101 Rye originally was my all-time favorite, but that's pretty, it's harder to find now. So the 101 Bourbon is my go-to and that's, that's my go-to budget bourbon. So we'll, we'll put that as my top, one of my top five. Okay. That's one. Um, some of my favorite whiskeys I've ever had have been out of Japan, actually. Unfortunately, they are very difficult to, to procure at this point in time. Uh, and also ridiculously expensive. So one of my all-time favorites was uh, Yamazaki 18-year-old. And I could get that at a liquor store for about $145, um, which now it's you can't find it for under $700 because Japanese whiskey blew up so fast that they just didn't have enough stock and sold out so quickly that now it's ridiculously hard to find. And if you do find it, it's usually priced at a ridiculous price point even like 12 year japanese whiskey you get for 60 bucks you're looking at 250 dollars now at most stores if not more um so i think they make absolutely exquisite whiskey i'm really excited to see what becomes of the japanese industry but they are being competed with now directly by uh, uh taiwanese whiskey that i was able to visit their distillery uh this past year called Cavalon. Uh, and their climate there is very, very rainy, but very hot and humid, and their whiskey ages very quickly. Uh, so most of the whiskey they release is between four and eight years old, and it is some of the best single malt whiskey I've ever had. Um, they're also, the, the distillery there is owned by a very rich man who owns a corporation out there, and they are huge. I think right now they have more visitors every year than any other distillery in the world. At least that's what they claim. Mm -hmm. The facility there is massive. They're producing more than most scotch companies, like the big scotch companies. Um, so yeah. I would throw that. I would throw them into one of my top five lists, just also because their flavor profile is so unique. Okay, so we've got Wild Turkey 101. We've got the Japanese brand, and now a Taiwanese brand. Yep. Yep. Okay. So basically, we're going that way. Okay. Uh, now, here's the kicker, and here's where it gets a little more difficult for me to really be able to accurately help like because I'm assuming your listeners want to know about these whiskeys and be able to access them but some of the best whiskeys I've had I've drank straight from the barrel so in visiting many 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 distilleries throughout the United States and several throughout the world like I'm fortunate enough where like when I was in Scotland we would just go right into the Rick house and they're just taking a, a whiskey thief and putting it right in the barrel I'm drinking 40 seven-year-old scotch straight from a barrel i mean come on you can't you can't beat that especially when you're sitting in the highlands of scotland 
Mm -hmm. Like you can't beat that experience. And for me, whiskey is an experience. So I have to say, um, when, when I was out in Scotland, that was definitely one of the more outstanding moments was, was visiting. Uh, I was working with, uh, Glenn Morangy <coughs> and, uh, Glenn Moray out there and, uh, just getting access to stuff that, you know, normal, normally you can't get access to and tasting some really exceptional whiskey that was made well, well, well before I was born. It was a really, really <laughs> cool experience. And then I've also gotten to do that with plenty of American whiskey distilleries where I've tasted their product for years. I've seen the potential. I've watched it develop over a half decade, go visit them again and taste their barrels three years down the road and seeing the difference between what it was and what it is now and the improvements they're making and, and just geeking out over everything from yeast strain to mash bill to fermentation time to the barrel char. I mean, there's such a plethora of ways to age and create whiskey in so many unique profiles. Um, but I think some of the best up and comers right now for the American craft whiskey scene would be uh, wilderness trail out of Kentucky. I absolutely adore them. Uh, I would say you've got uh, some really incredible homemade products from smooth ambler, even though I do work for them, they do have some amazing uh, whiskey that they're making there. Uh, Woodenville out of Washington. I'm a huge fanboy of, and then uh, another one of my sponsors, Brooklyn Distilling, releases a six-year malt whiskey that is phenomenal. It's like a single malt but with an American spin that has been selling. It's called Brownstone. It has been selling out everywhere. It's phenomenal. I think it's going to be winning a lot of awards next year. Um, but yeah, sorry, it's just tough. It's tough to choose it because any given day, like I want something different. You know, it's it's. It, it, it just, it varies. And I'm fortunate enough to have access or be gifted many, many different bottles to try. So it's, I, I, I can't in good conscience make a top list because the whatever whiskey I'm drinking that day that I've selected, that's my top whiskey of the day. And that, it usually changes. But for your listeners, if you're getting into whiskey and you don't want to break the budget, uh, I'm telling you right now, Wild Turkey 101, that's, that's the way to go. All right. So you've listed quite a few choices there that uh, that our listeners can choose from. So uh, you make, also <laughs> go ahead. You said I make I make life difficult. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's good. Good to have difficult choices. You did rattle off though, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal my my lack of uh, whiskey geekness here. Um, you did rattle off uh, Scotch, bourbon, rye and whiskey all in our whiskey conversation here. So is there a short condensed version of what is the difference between those four? Absolutely. I'm going to make this super easy for you. Okay. All right. So this is the way I've described it for years and years, and it seems that most people can understand it. So think of whiskey with or without the E um, as a last name. So like my last name is Woodruff and then I've got my four brothers. So it's me, Nate, and then we've got Ryan, Ben, Seth, and Dave. So whiskey is kind of like the last names. So then you have bourbon whiskey, scotch whiskey, rye whiskey, single malt whiskey, Japanese whiskey, Irish whiskey, uh, just uh, blended whiskey. So whiskey is kind of like the overriding theme. And then you have a bunch of different subcategories. Um, and those have different regulations. They have different um, laws. For instance, bourbon whiskey can only be made in the United States. Um, scotch can be only made in Scotland. Irish whiskey can only be made in Ireland. Uh, Canadian whiskey can only be made in Canada, but can also in, in include 9% flavoring, which is very open-ended. 
Um, and then each of those can have more rigid stipulations. So, you know, Scotch whiskey is, it has to be aged for a minimum three years and made in Scotland. Single malt can only be made from 100% uh, barley malted in the same season. Um, uh, bourbon has to be aged in the United States in 53 er, er, in, in new oak barrels and, and have at least 51% corn. And then you've got straight bourbon whiskey, bonded bourbon whiskey, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and for me, it's, I know the rules and regulations and styles of just years and years of doing it, but it can be very confusing for the consumer. But the easiest way to remember the, the, the theme is just think of whiskey as the last name. Don't get confused by that. That's part of it. Um, all the time, and then you have your subcategories. Because people, I get that question all the time. What's the difference between whiskey and bourbon? Um, but that's the easiest way to remember. It seems to stick with people. Great explanation. I, I feel much better off after that uh, last three minutes there of that explanation. Thank you. It's years and years of trying to explain it to people. <laughs> after many errors, that was what I've settled on is the easiest way to describe it. Nice. Okay. Hey, let's move on to another top five list. I want to talk about the top five destinations that whiskey has led you to. Could, could be on your trip right now. It could be on your, your world travels in your experiences with whiskey. Yeah, we'll do a couple. So um, I would have to say um, coming in close to the top of that list would definitely be Scotland, uh, the motherland, the absolutely beautiful, rugged, gorgeous i love that country to death if it didn't rain so damn much i would probably live there um i can't take that much rain but <laughs> when i went there i was working for uh, uh doing some work with glenn morangy and afterwards when i fly out on these trips i i just if it's an interesting area i ask the company that flies me out i say hey can you bump my flight you know four days past what you were going to do and then i take care of my own rental car my food my my hotel or bed and breakfast or Airbnb, what have you, like, obviously that's on me. And they have no problem doing that. It costs them the same amount, sometimes even less because it's a, a longer travel time. Mm -hmm. um, so this was one of those trips where I was like, I'm absolutely going to spend more time in Scotland. So I got a couple extra days out of that. And after, uh, after working with Glenn Morangy for a weekend, I asked one of their national brand ambassadors, who's also a very good friend of mine, who's from Scotland. I said, what's the most beautiful hike in this area? I want to do it. And uh, his, his name was uh, David, and he he told me that where I was in the Highlands, I wanted to go to Glencoe uh, by the Ben Nevis mountain range. And he told me that there is a hike there that's the most beautiful hike in all of Scotland called the Enoch Enoch Ridge, which you've probably seen in the movie Braveheart, which is that uh, parts of that mountain range is uh, this the montage of him running on these crazy knife edge ridge lines. Right. Yeah, that's that ridge line. Um, he told me it was difficult. I didn't know how difficult. And it uh, turned out being a grueling 12-mile hike with over 7,600 feet of elevation gain, which is a lot. Wow. Uh, on exposed terrain, I started the hike four hours late because I couldn't find the trailhead because I didn't have GPS and I had to kind of wing it. So I had a snowstorm coming in. I had, well, it turned out to be a flurry, thank God. I did not have any proper gear. I just had basic, didn't even have a winter jacket, no gloves. Um, and somehow managed to do that entire hike and not die, which was quite shocking to the locals because most of them haven't even done that. Uh, but the hike there, it's probably, actually it is the most difficult and scary hike I've ever done because it is 
some class scrambling where you're supposed to have rope and helmet and I did not have either of those, but I was stubborn and determined in them anyway. And if you made one misstep and didn't do well, you're falling 500 feet. Um, and uh, the one scary part of that is, is literally a knife edge as wide as my body for about 50 yards where you're just scrambling around rocks with just straight drops on either side and over them. And between the combination of fading light and snow coming in. I mean, if you scroll back on my Instagram feed, there's actually a full, I think it's a two minute video of, of the experience, which is quite uh, interesting. And my mother refuses to watch it because of the heights and because she hates that I do that stuff. <laughs> but I ended up making it down, taking a shortcut down a scree avalanche uh, trail that um, apparently I found out at the bottom is what kills most people on that trail because they end up going into the scree and avalanche portion and just getting buried. Um, luckily I'm able to pick a trail, so it wasn't that bad for me. But um, that was an absolutely incredible experience. I got to experience three different whiskey, uh, three different distilleries in Scotland and climb one of their scariest hikes, which I definitely felt a sense of accomplishment after, but want to do it again very badly and not be as terrified. Now that I know what to expect. Um, Taiwan was quite an interesting experience last year as well. Okay. Um, I love learning about different cultures. Uh, just in the United States alone, you can there's it's, there's so much uh, variance and upbringing and culture and town life, and and I find it fascinating. But going to another country uh, across the world is a totally different experience. And and it took me about 28 hours to get there the first time, uh, just because of delays. And then that was when the riots in Hong Kong were happening, so we got the the it took a long time to get there. Um, luckily the ride back was a mere 14 hours, but getting to spend five days there and learn about their culture and how different they are and independent China they are and the way they make their whiskey and the way people hold themselves and what they value and, and what the, the, the darker sides of their society look like and visiting their historical and art museums, because I'm sure it's, as some of your listeners may know, China claims that Taiwan is, the, or is theirs. And Taiwan is independent of that. And when uh, socialism took over, a lot of people fled uh, in dynasties, well, even before the socialism, people fled there and took a lot of the artwork that was destroyed over the years there. So they have some incredible museums we got to visit and hiked up Teapot Mountain above New Taipei Village, which was amazing and getting inundated with the food. Um, the best food I've ever had was there. Um, not in general. In general, it's actually kind of just rice and fish and steak and it's good, but it's mm -hmm. nothing crazy. But they took us to a mall there, which is their crown jewel of opulence, apparently, is they love malls. Like every mall, people are obsessed with malls. So they took us to a mall and to the top restaurant there. And uh, it was myself, uh, another whiskey blogger, and a bunch of different journalists for like Forbes and Travel and different magazines. And they brought out this duck, like this fully roasted duck, uh, with uh, the head chef and about four, I'm guessing they're like their sous chefs. Um, and they bring it out on a cart and the, 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 the chef says, all right, this has been slow roasting and cooking in an oven for 40 hours. And what we're going to do is cut this up like sushi, wrap it up in rice and you have to eat it immediately. Like you cannot wait for it to get cool. You have to eat it immediately. And so they, all these four sous chefs go to work and rapidly cut this duck up and, and put it into these little, like almost like sushi rolls and looks like bacon wrapped around it, put it in front of all of us and everyone eats their, their piece, their first piece. And you just hear this collective moan go up around the table. Like <laughs> it was just this 
ridiculous. Like it just, it was the most incredible tasting thing I've ever had in my life. And I've been able to, fortunate enough to, to, to along with good whiskey, been treated to a lot of good food, but this stuff was just out of this world, like out of this world good. Um, so that was a cool experience. Um, shooting up in Canada last year was also amazing for me. I got to work with another amazing uh, photography team that does whiskey up there called From Barrel to Bottle. They're some of the top guys in the game, in my opinion. They live up by uh, Banff National Park mm. up in Calgary, yeah. which is the most beautiful place I've ever been in the world. I went up there last summer. I spent five days shooting for a Canadian whiskey brand called Bareface up there. Um, that was one of my favorite trips of all time. We just woke up every morning at 6 a.m. and canoed on these gorgeous, pristine Rocky Mountain lakes and cooked breakfast over like the most amazing views and stayed in the lodges with private hot tubs. I mean, it was just incredible. Like that was, that was, that was an amazing experience. Um, on this trip, marred by the amount of insanity and forest fires and van breakdowns I've had, um, I've still gotten to see some of my favorite places in America. Um, the Grand Tetons National Park is probably my favorite national park I've been to. Most stunning, young, youngest mountains in, in all of North America. Jagged, just gorgeous, jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Um, I was super excited to visit there. Unfortunately, I couldn't really hike up them because of having Sky with me and they don't allow dogs. So mm. it's kind of nice for me visiting some of these national parks where I can't hike with Sky because I'm like kind of saving something for later. I'm not getting it all done at once. So on this trip, I've been able to visit a ton of national forests because they all allow dogs and I can camp for free and stay in my van and in many, many places with dispersed camping. So national forests are kind of a gem. A lot of them are right outside national parks. They're just as beautiful. There are no fees and there's no one there. It's just phenomenal. Um, I've gotten to hike in some incredible places in uh, Oregon. I'll go ahead and shoot myself in the ass now and say Idaho is one of the most beautiful untouched places in, in the country. Uh, and I may very well be moving there next year. It's, it's beautiful, untamed, gorgeous, unpopulated, cheap, incredible country that is so overlooked because it's surrounded by Wyoming and Montana and Oregon and Washington. And everyone just thinks of Idaho potato, mm -hmm. um, but they have some of the most incredible mountains incredible glacial lakes world famous hot springs like it's everything i could ever want there uh so that that is a gem of a place that if any of your listeners want my opinion of where to travel to in the summer forget everything else and just go to idaho you okay. can, you can just travel between boise and um hit stanley sun valley and salmon and you can have an entire summer worth of activities and not have to worry about hordes of people and just see some of the most incredible beautiful preserved mountains in the country like the fact that they don't have a national park there yet which i'm sure they will is a total travesty because some of the hikes i've done there have beaten to hell any sort of national park i've been to um so i would put that those those as my top five that, that i've seen in the past two years and that i've seen actually in general during my whiskey travels that is quite the top five list and our listeners out there, you heard it here first. Whiskey Nate says Idaho. Idaho's the I'm best place so to go. Idaho, and please don't move there until after next year when I buy my property and I don't have to worry about everybody else moving in because that place is going to blow up for the next five years. Nice. Hey, Nate, you know where we are right now? Well, 
I'm still in Oregon with the smoke. Where are we at? In the episode, we are at the time where I turn to you and I ask, hey, what is your pro tip insight of the week for our listeners? Well, man, I've learned a lot on this this adventure, uh, specifically on this this journey here. Um, my my pro tip is, in the pursuit of happiness, don't let what society dictates set your level of happiness. Whether it be making a ton of money or saving up for a retirement fund or starting a family or having a relationship, all important things and all, if they make you happy, they're good to have, but don't let that facade ruin something where if you're not happy and you're not satisfied, take a risk. Uh, I challenged people this week and I'll be doing a more official post on it in the next coming days to just, if you want to experience what I do and a lot of people, and, and I'm happy that I'm, thrilled that I've inspired people to go out into the woods and hike and, and, you know, maybe snap a picture of whiskey and tag me in it. I love seeing people do that. Um, my advice would be is break out of your comfort zone a little, uh, get a cooler, throw some ice in it, get enough food for three days. If you go onto, well, when they're not forest fires onto, to, you know, BLM Bureau of land management land or public public land. And there's, you can use freecampsites.net or iOverlander app is amazing and just find a place where you can literally just park your car and set up your tent and just camp out for a night under the stars, away from everything, have plenty of hiking trails next to you. If you want to do what I do and kind of get that freedom, that's the starting point. And that's what I did for many years. It's uh, one thing I've, I've had to talk to a lot of people about since this was they asked me, how do I do what you do? And I'm like, well, what I do is different. And it took years and years of buildup. But at the core, what I do is I do what makes me happy. And the best way to do that is to kind of get away from people, get away from the noise. And for me, it's just hiking on a trail by myself, no music, no headphones, no nothing. It's amazing what your brain can tell you to do and to help you figure out when you're away from social media and and people and cars and pollution and well right now it's forest fires but once those are gone those will be nice to have back mm -hmm. um but yeah i think my my big thing is is take a break go out in nature get lost for a little while like ditch the phone or at least put on you know airplane mode so you have a gps or emergency service but just take three days and travel a little bit go check out this this country People think this country is kind of like one overriding thing because everyone just associates this country with the big cities. And the big cities are kind of all the same. I've been to almost every single major city in the United States. Kind of all the same with their little quirks. When you get out 20 miles, 25 miles, or get out in the sticks 100 miles away from the city, that's when you really experience the true culture and the true feeling of a state, of an area. And uh, that can really help you grow as a human. It helps you evolve. You can learn a lot. Uh, so my, my big thing is... When I have people ask me, what, what can I do or what's, what's your tip? It's so cheap and so easy to just drive somewhere. It's just no one's really willing to do that. You could spend an entire weekend drinking, going to a casino. You could use that money and travel four states over and camp out for free and just buy some camping food and experience an entirely different viewpoint of life for a few days on the money that you could have spent on that suit on that watch, on that bottle of whiskey, on the night out with the, with the boys or with the girls, you could really, really learn something for three days rather than going and do that. That's kind of what pulled me out of that 
lifestyle of frivolous spending and partying and that stuff. So that would be my pro tip is just take a weekend, take a weekend off and go explore a little bit. And you might be shocked at what you learn, not only about yourself, but that your own little bubble is a little constrained and confining you. You can expand and grow and do something that you really love and learn something new. Nice. Take three days, get away from it all, experience nature. Excellent it's tip. Cheap. It's cheap. It's basically free to hike. I mean, sometimes you got to pay like a $5 pass, but in the long run, it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And wear right. boots. Please don't, please don't wear sandals on the trail. I'm so sick of seeing people. It's <laughs> a secondary pro tip. Do not wear sandals on the trail. Got it. Again, sandals and jeans. I don't know how many times we've seen it. I'm like, you're going to hurt yourself. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 34 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Whiskey Nate. And I want to thank him for taking a brief break from his adventure and joining us this week. Nate, tell our listeners how they can keep up with you on social media and where they can find updates on your latest adventures. Sure. My OnlyFans account is, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) No, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Whiskey with a View. Again, no E in Whiskey. And then uh, also my personal page, which is going to involve more of me and my dog and more personal adventures. And I am occasionally naked on top of mountains. I will give you the little uh, caveat there that I get yelled at some for sometimes, but I don't give a shit. Uh, that's just whiskey underscore Nate. Again, no E in, in whiskey. Um, and I try to post up locations and help people out. Like I said, I've been inundated with messages, but I still try my best to keep up. And if you ask me a legitimate question where I can help or a location of where I'm hiking, I, I I do try to, I try my best to keep up with people um, to, to kind of like help them on their little journeys and, and give them tips on where to travel. Great. Remember to check out the John freaking Mirpod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at John at gmail.com. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a couple of minutes and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself, right, Nate? There you go. Chad, I'll, I'll, fix, I'll fix guy on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir studio. Any final thoughts, Nate? No, I think we covered it, man. I'm going to enjoy a couple glasses of whiskey, watch TV for the first time in a while, and hopefully fall asleep in the next two hours. Sounds like a good plan. Well, thank you for tuning in. And always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're on a 12-mile hike in Scotland with 7,600 feet of elevation gain on a knife's edge. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.